Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled with the primal forces of nature! Hey there, this is your mad prophet of the airwaves and welcome once again to Radio Free Canada News Notes and Opinions from the Underground for Wednesday, Feb the 15th in the year of our Lord 2023. A breaking news, RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky has announced she's resigning as of March the 17th. That's great news. That's a good start. I mean, she's she totally murdered the RCMP's reputation in the, uh, how long has she been around? I think she was appointed in 2018. That's a good start, but the, uh, the entire RCMP needs to be reformed, investigated. It's become weaponized, politicized, much like the FBI in the United States. Now, the rank and file RCMP, I'm sure, are fine, it's the top, I don't know, three, four layers that probably need to be shoved aside. Hey, happy National Flag Day. It was on this day at the stroke of noon, Feb 15th, 1965, Canada's red and white maple leaf flag was raised for the very first time on Parliament Hill. And today, of course, if you own a pickup truck and you drive around with a Canadian flag, you're considered an extremist. I neglected to mention yesterday was the first anniversary of the Invocation of the Emergencies Act. Basically, the War Measures Act. I'd forgotten our Crime Minister brought in the Emergencies Act on Valentine's Day. I guess that means he really loves us. The War Measures Act 
invoked because a bunch of Karens in Ottawa were irritated by some honking trucks and by the sight of freedom lovers of all races, ethnicities, religions, together with their families and supporters, erecting hot tubs and jumpy castles and keeping the sidewalks in Ottawa free from ice and snow. That's right, the protesters cleared away ice and snow. They shoveled the sidewalks. They fed the homeless. They cleaned up after themselves. There was no litter. They helped out shop owners. They inspired people around the world who were facing draconian lockdown measures in their countries. And because of all this, our effete, inept, compromised, and corrupt crime minister brought in the War Measures Act. And then, to top it all off, had his deputy dimwit, Christian Freeland, the granddaughter of a Nazi propagandist, freeze personal bank accounts of Canadian citizens. And we should never forget, many of our major banks gleefully cooperated. Yesterday I was telling you about South Dakota banning child-affirming care, both non-surgical and surgical procedures. Now Tennessee, at least the Senate, in Tennessee has passed a similar measure. It still has to pass the Tennessee House. Senate Bill 1 would ban minors in Tennessee from accessing gender dysphoria and transition treatments such as puberty blockers and hormone therapies, in addition to surgeries. People who received the treatments as minors would also be able to sue parents, guardians, and physicians for authorizing the care under a 30-year statute of limitations under the legislation. This is great news. We'll see if the courts... Uh, intervene. The Senate approved the bill 26 to 6 with all of the chamber's Democrats voting against the measure, of course. Bill sponsor Senate Majority Leader Jack Johnson has argued the treatments are experimental and harmful to children, but both of those are true. Democrats and Tennessee parents with transgender children have sharply disagreed. Johnson said Monday the bill does not represent animus toward or disapproval of children living with gender dysphoria or block mental health treatment for transgender children. Idaho has also just passed a similar piece of legislation. So too is Utah. In total, there are about two dozen states now who have or are planning to ban child-affirming care, or as I call it, child mutilation and child abuse. So our uh, crime minister insists, indignantly insists, that Canada is not broken. In fact, he gets very indignant, very animated when someone, namely Pierre Polyev, says that Canada is broken. Well, a recent survey conducted by Leger and published in the National Post, of course, found 67% of Canadians agreed with the statement that Canada is broken. So this might be the most damning proof yet. Incredibly sad proof. A new federal government research report has found that the number of Canadians struggling to keep up with day-to-day expenses and going into debt to sustain their families continues to increase since the beginning of the pandemic. The report, called Consumer Vulnerability, Evidence from the monthly COVID-19 Financial Well-Being Survey 
found, now get this, four out of 10 Canadians say they are having to borrow money in order to keep up with their expenses. In other words, they have to borrow money to pay for food, to pay for shelter, to keep the lights on. Four out of 10. That's a 32% increase from 2020 of uh, August 2020. The report found that 48% of Canadians, almost half of Canadians, say they've dipped into their savings in order, in order to cope with the effects of the pandemic. No, not the effects of the pandemic. With the lockdowns and the ineptness of our government because of inflation. So when you have four out of 10 Canadians are borrowing just to pay for groceries and to pay for rent and utilities, that is all the proof you should need that this country is indeed broken. Trudeau and his creepy band of grifters hate this country. They hate Canadians. How else to explain their actions? They'll gladly send billions of dollars to Ukraine, where, incidentally, soldiers are now abducting young, young and old men off the streets, teenagers even, and forcing them to fight on the front lines. Those are called press gangs. So Trudeau will gladly send billions to Ukraine and bring the world closer to World War III, but he won't lift a finger to help his own suffering people except to offer them medical assistance in dying. This country will not survive much longer with this menace Trudeau as Prime Minister. Won't survive for much longer. Of course, Jagmeet Singh could end this reign of suffering and madness. All he has to do is end on the unholy NDP liberal marriage. The minority liberal government would fall without his support. And then we can go to the polls. But Jagmeet Singh will not do this, one, because he fully understands he, he can't qualify for his full parliamentary pension until 2025, so he has to hold on for his own selfish purposes. And two, because his Socialist Party is broke and they can't afford to properly campaign in an election. And so he will continue to hold Canadians hostage. Imagine, in this country, four out of ten of us are flat broke. Nearly half of Canadians are now dipping into their savings to pay the bills. He's, Trudeau is forcing Canadians into penury. Truly one of the great tragedies of the last century, what Trudeau has done. I mentioned Ukraine a couple of days ago. David Creighton from the Western Standard and I were talking about journalist Seymour Hirsch, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, reporting on his substack. That according to an unnamed source, the U.S. Navy indeed is responsible for the bombing of the North Nord Stream pipeline last September. And this would be a clear declaration of war against Russia. Clear provocation. Now, according to Norwegian intelligence, Russian warships are now sailing with tactical nuclear missiles on board for the first time since the end of the Cold War. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here last order of business in Hour 2 to discuss. Also in Hour 2, I've carved out some time for your calls in the second hour, 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600, so much to discuss. 
We can talk about some of the other things we've discussed this week. 15-minute cities coming to Canada, digital ID, the specter of World War III, 289-275-9600, open lines in hour two. A, a convicted child rapist who now claims he's a woman has been granted a transfer to a women's prison in British Columbia. He's being housed near a mother-child unit. Chris Oldcorn from the Western Standard has that story also an hour or two. This hour, the cult of climate change with Tony Heller. And wait until you hear what the White House, during a, a White House briefing, you'll never believe what they're blaming all of the UFO sightings in the skies above the United States. Kay Smythe from The Daily Caller has that story coming up later this hour. But first, rural Ohio is facing comparisons to Chernobyl after that massive chemical leak caused by a train derailment over one week ago. Independent journalist and podcast host Jonathan Kogan has been on the ground in East Palestine, Ohio, or should I say East Palestine, Ohio, and he joins me next. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Wednesday, February the 15th, 2023, Facta Non Verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Following the February 3rd train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, users on social media began showing photos of an ominous black cloud hanging over the town and fears that the disaster would become the new Chernobyl fire engulfed a a Norfolk Southern train after 50 of its 150 cars derailed. The train carried 10 cars full of hazardous materials, including vinyl chloride, a colorless gas used in the creation of the plastic PVC, which was released as a result of the derailment. In uh, sunlight, it can be broken down into chemicals like formaldehyde. We're also hearing reports from residents uh, up to 100 miles away reporting that some of their animals are just keeling over and dying. And we're seeing reports of birds dying and fish uh, in streams and rivers nearby also uh, dying. Jonathan Kogan is a podcast host, independent journalist, and has been recently on the ground in East Palestine, Ohio. He joins us now. Hey, Jonathan, how are you? I'm doing super well. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, first of all, um, is it pronounced East Palestine or Palestine? I've heard both. East Palestine. It is East Palestine. Okay, thank you for that. Now, uh, you're not currently in East Palestine. You were on the ground. You were reporting from there. You've since sort of evacuated and you're now uh, about an hour away. Is that correct? We've lost Jonathan. All right. Jonathan Kogan was with us from uh, East Palestine, and uh, hopefully we'll get him back. There he is. Are you back? Do we have you, Jonathan? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Now I can hear you. Yes. Go ahead. So I was explaining to uh, my listeners. Yes, I can. I was just explaining to my listeners that um, you were in East Palestine reporting on the ground, and then you've evacuated, and you're just about an hour's north of there now. When you were in East Palestine... What were residents saying to you? So it's it's a disaster from the standpoint that the people that are there are mostly there because they don't have the ability, the means to get out of that city. It's pretty much your stereotypical like middle America type town and really, really great people. 
But as far as like communicating to them, whether it's from the federal government, the state government, lo- local municipalities, whatever it is, no is informing them of anything. They are clueless. They know just as much as there's a total media blackout on it, they are being shut out of all information. So they're told everything's fine. And then they'll drink their water and they have a metallic taste and like, oh, you know, what? it did get in the water. Or, you know, you want when you immediately when you get there, the smell in the air is if you can if you could picture what a like the, what the word chemical would smell like, that yeah. is what the entire place smells like. And it's really bad. And no one is informing the people of anything. So the sentiment around the area is we don't know what to do. We're told everything's fine. But what are our options? So they're kind of lost for what to do. And what are you hearing about these reports of uh, fish showing up in lakes and streams or rivers and streams, rather um, birds dying, animals dying uh, up to 100 miles away from the site? Yeah, so um, I myself actually went to the park, which is about uh, maybe maybe two miles, probably less from the site where the explode, the quote unquote contained explosion happened. And I was trying to see if I could find dead fish. And I did see one fish in that pond and that fish was dead. However, I don't know if it had to do with the explosion or not, but there was one fish in the pond at the local park and it was definitely dead. Um, But I do know other people with their pets getting sick, their dogs. Um, there was a, uh, there was someone else with their Fox getting sick. Um, but I'm really concerned about the babies. I mean, people are walking around with their kids. Like it's just another area, literally hunt from the accident and they're in strollers or they're in, you know, a uh, car seat. And I'm thinking what's going to happen to these kids. I mean, there's no way they have the immune system to deal with this. It's, it's really bad. It's really bad. Jonathan, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss further. Jonathan Cogan, podcast host of The Jonathan Cogan Show, and uh, recently was on the ground in East Palestine, Ohio, reporting on the uh, the aftermath of that huge train derailment, some uh, comparing it to the new Chernobyl. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard Serrett Show. We are back with Jonathan Cogan, podcast host of The Jonathan Cogan Show and independent uh, journalist. Recently was on the ground reporting from East Palestine, Ohio. He's since evacuated uh, to uh, Cleveland about an hour away. Uh, We're talking about the derailment of um, these rail cars in East Palestine back on uh, February 3rd, sending... uh, Huge plumes of black smoke into the air. There are concerns that this is an environmental uh, catastrophe. Uh, how, how many people in East Palestine, Jonathan, approximately? About 5,000 people that are affected by this. 5,000 people. Are any... Are any uh, There's re- about 5,000 people that are affected. Got it. Okay. Are any residents, do you know, taking it upon themselves to test their own wells or... Uh, I mean, what measures are are people taking? Are they cleaning, uh, cleaning, you know, inside their homes, staying inside? What are they doing? Yeah, we're having some real lag issues here. I don't, can you hear me, Jonathan? So, yes, I can hear you. So they're being told everything's fine. Um, and But I know of some people that were testing their well water and they were getting reads that were saying it was highly toxic. And and they would report that to the local officials. And then they had a press conference today saying, oh, you know what? You shouldn't drink your well water. 
and you need to use bottled water. The only reason they said that was because the people took it. They didn't, they didn't hand out things to test their water. They didn't tell people to test their water. They told people it was fine. It's okay. You can drink it. You can use it. And then they took it upon themselves to test it. And they found out that the toxicity levels were way high. So it's more of the local people taking action on their own intuition and finding out that things are much worse than they're being told and catastrophically worse than being reported in mainstream and elsewhere. I mean, this is really, really, I think this is a gigantic disaster, much bigger than people think. Is there any presence? Does the EPA have any presence on the ground in East Palestine? So um, when I was there, there was uh, a reporter there, another independent journalist, Nick, was there. And then we did see Breitbart and ABC News there. And I talked to each of them and nobody was able to find an EPA official or a government official of any sorts to speak with. And when we try to talk to someone at the level who's part of like the city council firefighters, they are unwilling to speak to us, to any of us, whether it's mainstream, whether it's independent journalists, unable, to, they're, they're willing to speak to us. There was no one from the EPA that we found there. Not, nobody can get the answers. So Norfolk Southern that operates this train and this rail line going through your town, I mean, do they basically run, run the town? Is it, is, it a, is it a rail town? Do they own it? Do they, I mean, it sounds like they have everything locked down. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. It's Superstart Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get up to a $25 gift card after rebate with the purchase of select Superstart batteries. Our professional parts people will test your old battery for free and recommend the right battery for your vehicle. For power, performance, and reliability, choose Superstart batteries only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Yeah, so again, you got to think this is a really small town. This is where thing. This is where people used to work. Industrial Revolution, all the jobs at the factories. That was the. You know, this is this is a lot of a lot of work. This is like really lower to you know lower and lower middle income type place. And when you have a broke company like like uh, Northern South or South River coming through, and they're a fifty five billion dollar railroad company. I mean, pretty much what they want to do will you know. Should they have even, I mean, even about should they have even blown this up in a contained explosion? That probably wasn't even the best way to deal with it, but there's no one to push back. I mean, they have a, whatever they say goes, pretty much everyone else covers for them. I mean, it's, it's a really, it's a really tough situation. 
The uh, the Biden administration, uh, to my knowledge, Joe Biden hasn't uh, said much of anything. Uh, the minute the secretary of Tr- transportation, Pete Buttigieg, uh, said very little about it. Um, no, no plans to visit the site, uh, from what I understand, from the president. Uh, does that have anything to do with the fact that that part of the state voted about 72 percent for Trump in the last election, do you suppose? Um I'll let your listeners uh, come to conclusions. But the truth is, this is an apolitical situation. This is people's health. This is generational health. Kids, children, and then there's children's children. This is this is some of the most fertile farm in the world is around this area. The Ohio River gets up to 8 million people or water and goes into the Mississippi River. This affects millions of people across the back of let's come together as people like the president have, hasn't talked about and Buttigieg, this, the quote-unquote secretary of transportation, who, in my opinion, is doing nothing. I mean, this is one of the worst. You said Chernobyl earlier that people were compared. This is massive. This could absolutely be on that scale. And the only reason that they addressed it was because citizen journalists like myself, like Nick, and a few others were making it go viral on places like Twitter. And it became so popular. And I talked to the people from ABC News and Breitbart to quote like so, mainstream ish uh, publications, they said we're only there because of the pushback they got from independent journalists on Twitter. So they were forced to go there to cover it because it was getting so much traction. Otherwise, they would have never have covered it. So they're trying to keep it silent. Biden's intentionally not talking about it. Did make a statement on it, like a tweet on it, but that was only because people like myself and others were making it a big deal and giving these people a voice. Jonathan Cogan. Biden uh, supporters for the more. And yeah. Oh, I was just going to ask you, Jonathan, uh, just before we say goodbye, well, how do we listen to the Jonathan Cogan show? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can go to, uh, you can find me on Twitter at KOGZ or go to jsk.transistor, T R A N S I S T O R dot FM, jsk.transistor.fm, and you can see all, all right. the truth as best as I can. Um, it's a good listen. Jonathan, I appreciate your time. Good work. Thank you. Stay safe. And um, hopefully we'll talk soon. Jonathan Cogan. All right. When we come back, lighten things up a little bit. Wait till you hear what the White House is blaming thousands of UFOs uh, sightings in the United States on. Kay Smythe, news and commentary writer with The Daily Caller, is next. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 a.m. All right. Welcome back again. Wait until you hear what the White House is blaming on thousands of UFO sightings across the United States. Kay Smythe is a news and commentary writer with The Daily Caller, and she joins me now. Hey, Kay, how are you? I'm great, Richard. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you. All right. So let's have it. This was a, a White House uh, briefing, I guess, from uh, Homeland Security to uh, governors via a, a virtual briefing online briefing, what did the Homeland Security Advisor say was responsible for these UFO sightings? It's sorry. It's just, I've just been laughing about this so much today, Richard. It's so exhausting. It's so funny. Um, Basically, we've been told, uh, we, the uh, general public here in the United States, that uh, our military has been shooting down the balloons that once belonged to used car salesmen. <laughs> That's apparently what's in the sky right now. Just, 
you know, I left a very silly country. Wales is a beautiful, but it's a very silly country. And I'm just sort of sat here looking at this, what I hope is an incredibly small minority of government officials who, for whatever reason, either, well, this is the thing, right? Either they think we're that stupid or they're actually that stupid, and I don't know which it is. What do you think? <laughs> it might be a combination of both, but I'm just thinking about the poor used car salesmen who, let's face it, sometimes through no fault of their own, don't have the greatest reputation to begin with. Uh, <laughs> and now and now they're being told to shoulder the blame for uh, UFO sightings. Uh, so, I mean, balloon, let me just try to explain this. Uh, used, uh, what is the connection between used car salesmen and balloons? Um, I don't know, but, you know, I've got a degree in uh, sort of an even balance of human and physical geography. My thesis was mostly focused on the more human side of geography, looking at um, theories of social capital, social normalization. So I've got a little bit of a little bit of a sort of insight here, you know, maybe a party trick or two up my sleeve to sort of do some social mathematics. And what I've worked out is the used car salesmen apparently use balloons in their parking lots. And apparently these balloons, according to our, sorry, I can't, I can't, I can't stay on this bit because it's just so stupid. Um, apparently they, the, this woman, uh, Sherwood Randall, uh, Liz Sherwood Randall, I think is her name. Um, she's the White House Homeland Security Advisor. She's made the argument that apparently there's this sort of cartel of used car salesmen who are just plaguing our skies with giant balloons and it's all of their fault. Like, how, is, how am I saying this out loud and reporting on this? Like, this is a government official that's made me say this out loud today. I feel stupid saying it. And and this again was uh, a a, conf- a teleconference or, or something like that to the governors. Uh, how did the governors respond? Were they, uh, you know, uh, doubling over in uproarious laughter as well as we are? Well, I absolutely wish I knew. That was the one thing I wasn't able to put in the piece. Um, you know, the report I believe was, or the the briefing itself. Um, was shown exclusively to, I think, someone at Fox News Digital. I'm not sure. Um, and so I kind of drew the the piece that I wrote from what was public or made publicly available at that point. Um, I hope that governors come forward. I'm not sure what the sort of rules are in terms of briefings like this and that kind of data coming forward. You know, I try to be as open minded as possible in all of my reportage. There are certain things where, you know, people always say I'm very outspoken, like I I care passionately, especially about uh, it's crazy, but scientific and sort of faith driven subjects, um, if you can believe it. But um, this is one of those rare instances where I will put my hand up and say I don't have the full picture. There could have been a lot of really valuable stuff that went on and a lot of, you know, important stuff for national security that went on in this briefing. But um, considering the fact that she said that bit about the used car salesman balloons, I, I just can't imagine. I think they're just, I mean, this is like, these are the people that we elect to like help run this country. Like, what are we doing? I think the word you're looking for, because you, you hail from the United Kingdom or, the, or uh, would be gobsmacked as I am. <laughs> uh, now, let me ask you just to, because we just have about a minute left here. And that is, uh, was the... Uh, the uh, Homeland Security Advisor addressing the recent um, shooting down of what could have been 
weather balloons or Chinese spy balloons? Or was she just referring to UFO sightings in general or those specific cases? Like last weekend, we had one shot over Lake Huron and another in Alaska and so forth. Uh, so she I think it was uh, that was the catalyst for this briefing being held. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot on like state levels that they want governors, you know, especially since it's happening in so many different parts of the country, that there needs to be some kind of coordination for uh, response on the local level as well as as well as the federal level. Um, but I've written about UFOs and all this kind of stuff for, you know, the last like 18 months or something for the Daily Caller. And, you know, I've looked at this stuff just out of pure fascination for a long time. And, you know, it's it's a cross between are the sightings getting more prevalent? Are we putting more stuff out there? Or like, is this the apocalypse that we're due? You know, we've got a lot of options for what our apocalypse is going to be. Maybe aliens. Maybe aliens is the apocalypse. So I don't know if there's more ramping up. But yes, this was a briefing that has come off the back of all of these recent sightings. And apparently there was some octagonal thing seen in the sky recently by that was shot down by F-16 fighter pilots. Again, I'm not sure if that is classed in the whole Chinese spy balloon thing or if that's something different. Yes, the apocalypse. It could be aliens or it could be Big Hal discount cars from Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> for all this madness, Kay Smythe, news and commentary writer with The Daily Caller. Kay, great speaking with you. Thank you so much. Oh, Richard, the pleasure's all mine. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. When we come back, the cult of climate change with Tony Heller. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk. Saga, 960 AM. The cult of climate change on The Richard Serrett Show. One has to wonder, where are all the uh, the climate bedwetters and the environmentalists clamoring about the U.S. bombing of uh, Nord, the Nordstrom pipelines, releasing all of that liquid natural gas into the ocean? They've been completely silent on the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. I guess, really, they don't care about the environment. It's not about that, right? It's just about control. But I think that's a question that needs to be answered. Of course, we just had Seymour Hersh's uh, Substack article and uh, some amazing reporting from this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. And um, I don't think there's, at least in my opinion, not much question that the, uh, the bombing of that pipeline was carried out by the U.S. Navy, according to his source. I mean, Joe Biden basically said that the U.S. would destroy the pipeline. So too did Victoria Newland from the U.S. State Department. And then we have this uh, U.S. Navy source telling Seymour Hersh, of course, was the one that, the, that exposed the um, My Lai massacre in Vietnam back in 1968, the Abu Ghraib uh, torture prison in Iraq. Pretty reputable journalist, I'd say. But anyway, where are the environmentalists when it comes to this Nordstrom pipeline? Where are they in this environmental calamity in East Palestine, Ohio. Tony Heller is the founder of RealClimateScience.com, and he joins us now. Hey, Tony, how are you? I'm good, Richard. How about you? I'm very well. Any thoughts on on uh, the absence of any, um, I mean, shouldn't Greta Thunberg be on the ground in East Palestine, Ohio right now, or shouldn't she be, uh, you know, um, Shaking her fist at uh, the, the the United States State Department or someone and saying, how dare you? 
Well, this is fairly typical. I mean, we have a very severe environmental problem and it's being ignored. At the same time, they're trying to make people hysterical about um, something which is not a problem at all. So then that as nor as is usually the case, the world's turned upside down for what makes any sense. You have a, uh, an interesting story at uh, realclimatescience.com, a U.N. advisor who is claiming that carbon dioxide caused the Turkey-Syria earthquake, which has now killed, what, about 40,000 people. Carbon dioxide responsible for the earthquake. What is, what is the, the, the thinking on, on, on this person's part? I don't know. Someone, someone a few years ago was claiming that um, global warming was melting glaciers, which was causing unloading of the Earth's crust and was causing some localized earthquakes around the glaciers, um, which I suppose there's some possibility that may be true, but that's certainly not the case in Turkey. (laughs) There's nothing to do with what was going on in Turkey. So just another example of them using global warming as an excuse for everything. All right. Finally, uh, yesterday was Valentine's Day, of course. Um, You've been tracking... Valentine's Day trends, because um, it really, uh, for those, you know, we've had some unseasonably warm weather up here. Uh, We we did, in fact, for Valentine's Day up in Canada. But uh, uh, what is the overall trend of, you know, for the last, I don't know how many years for Valentine's Day? Are we getting warmer or colder on Valentine's Day? Uh, It definitely used to be warmer. Um, The southeastern U.S. has actually cooled about 10 degrees Fahrenheit over the last century on Valentine's Day which is a pretty dramatic shift. Um, All of the warmest Valentine's Days in the United States occurred more than 60 years ago. Um, So, yeah, it's it's always interesting looking at these individual um, events, individual days, and people accuse me of cherry picking, but the forest is made up of trees, and I've you know, I like to study a lot of different trees to get an understanding of what's going on. And certainly there's there's absolutely no indication that um, the, the United States is heating up or the climate's getting more extreme. Actually, out here in the western U.S., you don't hear much about it. We've had an extremely cold, snowy winter. Um, it's incredibly cold here today. And it's been cold all winter. Um, so, of course, the focus is on the eastern half of the United States where this winter it's been warm. So, again, just to repeat, the um, Valentine's Day is getting the, uh, colder the last 10 years? On yeah, average? yeah, over the last 20 years, um, Valentine's Day has cooled down a lot in, in the United States. It's, it's been a very dramatic cooling, actually. The coldest one was... Coldest one was um, two years ago on uh, Valentine's Day 2021. We had this huge freeze and people were freezing to death in Texas when the wind turbines froze up. So uh, yeah, that was that was one of the coldest days on record in the United States. All right. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. I know you've been busy with uh, actual work, Tony, and we pull you away from that. Uh, we appreciate your time. But and, uh, any videos that you've been working on? Um, yeah, I've made a few recently. Um, I don't actually remember what they're about. It's, sometimes they feel like they're getting a little repetitious because you know, we get the same scam over and over again from uh, – 
from the alarm us. They've been doing this for decades. And when I counter them, I feel like sometimes I feel like I'm telling the same story over and over again. But I try to diversify the topics as much as I can. Well, you just we have to keep hammering away. Sometimes it does feel repetitious, but it's important. Uh, it's like with a teenager, right? You got to tell them like 5,000 times, you know, to uh, take their laundry down before it finally sinks in. So don't feel bad about uh, uh, repeating the same message occasionally. Tony, appreciate your time as always. You have a great rest of the week. Yeah, you too, Archer. Tony Heller, founder of RealClimateScience.com. All right, hour two awaits. Christopher Oldcorn will be here from the Western Standard. We'll talk about this convicted child rapist. Think about that. A convicted child rapist who now claims to be a woman, and he has been transferred to a Canadian women's prison near the mother-child unit. That's happening in British Columbia. Christopher Oldcorn has that story, and I will also... Uh, carve out a little bit of time for your phone calls at 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. You might want to think about getting on board soon, 289-275-9600. And then last order of business, as the uh, the uh, rumors of war heating up, World War Three, Russian warships are now sailing with tactical nuclear missiles. This is coming from Norwegian intelligence. This is the first time Russian warships have been equipped with tactical nuclear missiles since the end of the Cold War over 30 years ago. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here at last order of business with that story. All right, hour two coming up right after these. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. And welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming your way, including U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis... Uh, he's also the author of Kings of the East, China's Plan to Eliminate America and Impose a Communist World Order. He'll be here to talk about this report from Norwegian Intelligence. And uh, this Norwegian Intelligence document claims. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Uh, that the uh, Russian Northern Fleet, their warships, are starting to sail with tactical nuclear weapons on board. This is the first time in 30 years since the end of the Cold War. The uh, document claims that during the Soviet era, the Northern Fleet's warships frequently deployed tactical nuclear weapons at sea, but no such incidents have been reported since the end of the Cold War. So the significance of nuclear weapons for Russia has uh, reportedly expanded dramatically since the start of Moscow's special operation in Ukraine, according to this intelligence report. Again, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis will be here. Last order of business this hour. I've also carved out um, some time later this hour for you to call in. 289-275-9600. That's the number to get on board and join the conversation. 289-275-9600. In fact, we've opened the uh, the phone lines now if you want to call a little bit early. You know, it's interesting. I've, uh, I've noticed, um, you know, keeping in mind, I began my career in, in talk radio as a call screener, or as we called it then, an on-air producer. And um, that was the lifeblood of talk radio taking calls from listeners. And I've noticed over the years, fewer and fewer talk shows actually take calls. They don't see, the other radio stations don't seem to be overly interested in hearing what the people have to say. The, uh, the talk show hosts would rather talk at you than with you. And uh, that's one of the this is one of the, the rare instances, this radio station, this talk sh- uh, station, Saga 960, where we're still interested in hearing from you and what you have to say. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. So much to talk about. I, where do you even begin? We've been talking about the 15-minute city. This is the latest authoritarian scheme being pushed by the WEF. We had Corey Morgan from the Western Standard on yesterday talking about this digital IDs, and how the federal government wants to tie a digital identification um, system as a condition of federal health care monies being transferred to the provinces. Alberta's premier has said no way. So too has Scott Moe, premier of Saskatchewan. So we can talk about digital IDs as well. All right, right now. This is another, I think I'll, I'll, um, I'll put out a, a parental guidance warning here because this next story is pretty horrific. It's a, um, a Canadian man, monster, who was uh, convicted 
of the horrific rape of a three-month-old infant and now identifying as a woman. This monster now says he's a woman and he's been quietly transferred to a women's correctional facility. Get this, if that's not bad enough, close to a mother and child unit in the prison. Christopher Oldcorn is a Saskatchewan reporter for the Western Standard and Saskatchewan Standard, and he joins us now. Hey, Chris, how are you? Welcome back. Thanks, Richard. I'm doing good. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Uh, I mean, this is almost too hard to believe. I mean, we know that there are men who have been um, requesting and being granted transfers to women women's prisons, but this, in this case, just seems just so horrific. Um, what do we know about this monster? Well, his background is um, he was babysitting a three-month-old child when he was just 15 years old. He raped the three-month-old baby, uh, and the baby needed reconstructive surgery. And then during the trial, he was evaluated by a clinical psychologist, which is normal in uh, these sorts of cases. And to that psychologist, he admitted that he had killed uh, a three-year-old boy when he was only 11 years old. But because of the way our justice system is set up, he was under the age of 12 and was never charged with a crime with regards to the three-year-old boy. So he was only sentenced based on the rape of the three-month-old infant. Wow. And so this individual, uh, Adam Labukin, who now goes by another name. um, Tara DeSouza. Yes. at what point do we know? At what point did this individual claim that he was a woman, and and at what point he requested a transfer to a women's facility? Uh, well, the transfer happened fairly recently. Uh, however, we don't know exactly when he uh, transitioned because it's obviously it's a process. There was uh, surgeries involved. I'm assuming our government paid for it since he's been in jail since he was 15, with uh, not any real ways of making money. Uh, so I'm assuming uh, you and I footed the bill for that. Uh, but yeah, he's uh, fully transferred to a woman now. And he's extremely close to the mother-child program. We're talking only a couple of rooms away. What is the thinking? I mean, I, I ask rhetorically, you, you place uh, someone who has raped a three-month-old baby practically next door to the women women's uh, child unit in the prison. Um I mean, are, is there nowhere else this 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 individual can be housed? Why right next to a? Are they trying to rub our faces in it? Are they trying to uh, traumatize the, the 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 poor women in this facility? What's going on here? That's a great question. Um, and this individual not only harms others, he also um, when he was first brought into custody, he mutilated himself while he was in custody when he was only like fifteen years old. Um, so not only is he a danger to others, he's also a danger to himself, and. Somehow he got transferred to this correctional facility. Um, Now, you would think someone like him would be in a maximum security prison. He tried to get parole, didn't get it. Uh, He's up for parole again in October of 2024. uh, But they didn't release him because he was of a high risk to reoffend and was a danger to the public. Now, he's a danger to the public, but apparently not to a mother child program. in a like a low security prison we're not talking he's not in a maximum security prison which someone like him should be based on like 
what's going on here. Right. I mean, I have no concern that this individual is mutilating himself, but it does speak to, you know, what he's capable of. Uh, and according to the report, uh, he ate his own flesh. And in fact, uh, muscle tissue included, not just nibbling on his flesh. He actually consumed his own muscle tissue. That's what, what a sicko we're talking about here. Yes. We're not talking about someone here that had sort of like a one-time thing where they kind of snapped. He has admitted to killing a three-year-old. He raped a three-month-old infant boy so badly that the boy needed reconstructive surgery. And then when he was in custody after they caught him, he then mutilated himself. And as you said, he's not biting his nails here. He's literally taking chunks out of himself. There was a recent uh, study conducted by... um a corrections candidate, I guess, and have found that 45% of the um, transgendered um, men who demand or who request a transfer to a prison, a women's prison, are violent sex offenders, 45%. Um, I mean, this is, and this is the government's own study, Corrections Canada. Uh, I mean, what do you think it's going to take for them to actually you know, to put a pause on this ridiculous uh, program of transferring violent sex offenders into women's prisons. Well, there's another report as well from uh, the Correctional Service of Canada where 82, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> 82% of gender diverse or what you and I would call transgender uh, prisoners have a history of sexual offenses involving either death or serious harm as well to women and children, more than half of the 82%. And our prison system seems to think that, like, these people should not be in a maximum security prison. They're getting transferred uh, to women's prisons. uh, And there doesn't seem to be any rational reason why you would allow someone with a serious criminal record to be moved into these facilities. Or for that matter, um, there's actually reports of this individual, um, DeSouza, of looking at and scaring some of the mothers with their kids. Uh, And there was apparently an altercation of some kind between a mother and him. Um, We don't know what exactly happened. um, But the mother who was kind of got into the altercation she got in trouble for being against a trans person as opposed to him staring at her baby. Good. good. Um, now, I didn't include that in my story because uh, uh, that was a single source thing and I need things double sourced. But um, there's multiple uh, people that have said and, and told a certain uh, women's rights organization for incarcerated women here in Canada um, of this. And uh, I do mention part of the in the, in the story there um, as well about uh, he, he was part of a testimony to the government on the issues of trans women slash what we would still consider men uh, in women's prisons. And he was specifically named on several incidents that that organization was aware of. All right. We'll take a quick time out. Christopher Oldcorn is a Saskatchewan reporter for the Western Standard. He stays with us and uh, we'll be back with more of our conversation in about three minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Christopher Oldcorn is here from the Western Standard. where We're talking about uh, this convicted child rapist and admitted murderer 
who now identifies as a woman who has been uh, transferred. Uh, his name is Adam Lubican. Um, he has another name, but it's Adam Lubican. And uh, requested a transfer and received a transfer to a women's prison, which also houses a mother-child unit. Um, he raped a three-month-old baby boy who had to be flown an air ambulance 410 kilometers to uh, Vancouver and undergo surgeries and reconstructive surgery. That's how horrific this this was. So this uh, child rapist now uh, self-identifies as a woman has been transferred to um, the Fraser Valley Institution for Women, uh, which features a minimum security annex that hosts a program for incarcerated mothers and their babies. Uh, so, uh, Chris, y- you said that uh, his cell, I guess, is just practically, you know, a few doors down from this um, mother-baby unit. Would that mean that he's, I mean, he's not in, obviously, it's minimum, kind of minimum security. He's not in, in, in solitary confinement. Is that, fr- that means he's free to mingle with uh, the mothers and their children? Uh, there is nothing to say that he wouldn't be able to do that because of the type of uh, facility he's now in. Uh, their movement is not very restricted. And the other thing, too, is in this prison, uh, in the mother-child program, if you are childless, you can apply to be a babysitter or what they call in the prison there aunties. So I doubt he'd get approved for it, but maybe he could. Uh, but anyone that's in that facility that does not have a child in that mother-child part of the facility can actually apply to be a babysitter to give mothers a break uh, so they can, I don't know, go watch a movie or something. So, With the, I'm, I'm guessing the, the uh, women prisoners at the Fraser Valley Institution for Women, they would be aware of his criminal record, would they? They'd be able to identify him and say, that's the, that's the man who raped a three-month-old baby? Uh, if they have access to the internet, it would be very easy since he is on uh, the, the main picture on the story is actually his, I'll call it um, dating profile. Um, it's, there's like an online site if you want to you know, exchange letters with prisoners. Um, and he slash she is um, on that site. Uh, and you can actually see a couple photos of the transformation from uh, what he looks like now. I can't imagine how traumatizing that must be for a, a woman, uh, particularly a, a mother who's incarcerated there and has, a, has an infant with them, knowing that just a couple doors down is this convicted child rapist slash murderer. Um, it's just inconceivable that this is happening. Uh, we've had uh, Heather Mason on the program a num- number of times. Heather is... Um, with uh, COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights, and um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we, she and I will be talking about this as well. Uh, I mean, do you have the sense that enough Canadians now are waking up to what's going on, that they even care enough about, you know, the uh, uh, what happens to, to women, to uh, female inmates, that, that uh, they're going to they're gonna be able to move the needle on this with the government? Are they going to, uh, you know, wake up and maybe, I don't know, at least hold hearings or something or reverse this ridiculous policy? Well, as you just mentioned, Heather Mason, she's already testified to the government about numerous transgender um, altercations in the prison system. And 
nothing's been done. Um, and it was under the Trudeau government in 2017 where they added in the gender identity uh, rights into the system. Um, so it's the Trudeau government that created this problem in the first place by making it a human right to identify male, female, non-binary, whatever your identity is that day, um, and use that to transfer to women's prisons because you all of a sudden say you're a woman. That in and of itself makes me think that the Trudeau government is not going to reverse course on this. I think that you're not going to see this reverse course until you're, you see like a conservative government in there. It's absolute madness. Absolute madness. Chris, thank you for your time as always. I appreciate it. Thank you, Richard. Have a nice day. You too. Christopher Oldcorn with the Western Standard. WesternStandard.news. Western Standard. Uh, dot news. All right, let's open up the phone lines 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Your calls on the Richard Serrett Show in about three minutes. The Bull Session continues on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. All right, welcome back. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Ninety six hundred. Uh, earlier, we, earlier uh, in hour one, I was speaking with Jonathan Cogan. He's an independent journalist and a podcaster. He was in East Palestine, Ohio, uh, before he was uh, forced to evacuate. He's now about an hour north of there. He was on the ground, and uh, we were talking about that horrific environmental situation there, contamination vinyl chloride and um, a number of other carcinogenic uh, chemical compounds that escaped after that huge train derailment there back on February the 3rd. And it seems like the, uh, the folks down in uh, East Palestine are just being kind of left to fend for themselves. No real EPA presence on the ground. Uh, people there sheltering in place. According to Jonathan, they really don't have much choice. And uh, they're just going about their business. No, um, no water testing, no well testing, at least any no coordinated water or well testing. Well, now there's a uh, another report. Uh, this is the Tulsa Port Authority. This uh, a breaking story an hour ago, a fire breaks out at a chemical tank that leads to t- temporary evacuations. This is taking place in Catoosa, Oklahoma. The Tulsa Port Authority says an oil chemical tanker at the port of Catoosa has caught fire, causing evacuations on site and nearby businesses. Residents are asked to shelter in place until the situation is under control. What the heck is going on? All right. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Let's say hi to Rick is calling from Toronto. Rick, welcome to the Richard Serrett Show. How are you? Uh, Good afternoon. Um, I still want to know about immigration during the pandemic years. Uh, You did have a segment a while back on Trudeau's, uh, I don't know how many million he wants to get in starting in in a few years. But during the pandemic, I have not yet heard what the immigration 
uh, volume was during the first year. I did hear one mention of 400,000 during the second year. And this seems totally stupid to me when all of us were locked down and prevented from flying without vaccinations. And even the truckers had their problems at the beginning of last year. I mean, what happened during the pandemic? Were the immigrants coming in without vaccinations? Were they sent to the hospitals to get their vaccinations and a check? What happened? That's what I'd like to know. Oh, those are all great questions. And all... Um Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All serious concerns. I mean, there, yeah. we, we have the people that are illegally, and then we also have the people that are coming in, flooding across Roxham Road in Quebec illegally. Uh, certainly, um, you know, some serious questions as to whether they were vaccinated. I, had, I highly doubt it. Um, yeah, I do too. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not, because Rick, we know it's not about whether you're vaccinated or not, it's about control and it's about a particular loathing that our prime minister has for this country and its people. He loathes us. Well, that should be exposed more by uh, having someone on who knows what happened. I don't know if anyone does. I I have not heard it anywhere on the radio. Anyway, uh, what happened during that first year of the pandemic when everyone was so terrified of what's going to happen, you know, I'd like to know. I'm quite confident that uh, they were coming in by the plane load, plane load after plane load after plane load. I don't think that uh, immigration uh, in this country uh, abated at all during the pandemic. And as you say, uh, the the target is up, uh, I believe, starting in 2025, is it uh, half a million a year? Rick, thank you for the call. I wish I had more answers for you. Well, we do not have a... Uh, a transparent government, a government, very difficult to uh, to get any serious answers from them. Have you ever listened? Have you ever listened to Question Period or watched Question Period in Parliament? And how ridiculous the government ministers uh, look, the way they behave in avoiding answering any question, and they think they're being very coy and cute and clever. But what they're doing is they're slapping Canadian citizens in the face with every non-answer they deliver. Uh, let's say hi to, uh, who do we have here? Um, Rob, Rob is joining us on the Richard Sarah show. Rob, hello. Welcome. Hi, good afternoon, sir. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for bringing, uh, <clears throat> that, that news about the Preston Manning's inquiry, uh, you know, the, the national 
citizens' inquiries about the, the how they ha- the government how the ha- government handled the COVID crisis, and uh, uh, you you had that on your program the other day, and I had a look at it today, and I'm a real klutz on the computer. I'm not very good at it, but I even I could sign the uh, petition. So I would just put that in your your listeners' ears that uh, I think everybody should have a go at that. All right. Uh, Especially, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I'm not sure what's happening with the National Citizens' Inquiry to to investigate the... um, the, the handling of the pandemic, because I know that I believe Danielle Smith, the premier of Alberta, has named Preston Manning to handle an inquiry into Alberta's handling of the pandemic, uh, which is, you know, um, I mean, I don't know whether that is now going to sideline a national citizens inquiry or whether that'll go on and maybe someone else would would be the the commissioner of that inquiry. I know that Preston Manning was sort of promoting it and spearheading it. Uh, I'm su- I suppose it could go on uh, while he's conducting a separate provincial inquiry. Uh, but I would certainly like to see a national citizens inquiry. Let's hope that it happens. Thank you for the call. All right. We will continue to take uh, your calls. When we come back, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Back with more of The Richard Serrett Show in three minutes. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. 289-275-9600, That's right, an actual talk show that takes calls. Think of it. How remarkable. Not too many talk shows do. Not too many radio stations are interested in hearing from from you uh, because we don't count. We're the great unwashed and the uh, media elites would rather talk at you rather than with you. But not on this radio station. We'll take your calls. 289-275-9600. Rick is in Mississauga. Welcome aboard, Rick. Oh, let me hit the uh, the talk button here. There we go. Rick, you are on the air. How are you? Uh, Not bad. Not bad. I can't complain, really. But uh, there seems something so nefarious going on nowadays. It's tough to to pinpoint one thing. Um, it's almost like there is some guerrilla warfare going on, listening to what's going on nowadays. You know, the extent of the spying that's going on. Uh, I mean, did we miss the D-Day? Was D-Day the, the start of the pandemic, the COVID? I mean, the, this, this Russia-Chinese left-wing bureaucracy slash fifth column. Uh, do they even know what they're doing? Like the, the, the medical bureaucracy, the, the government bureaucracy makes you wonder if it, are they in on it or are they just dupes? Uh, good questions. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there with what you said. Um, I guess by D-Day, you, you mean, are we, has World War III already started? Because the other day I was mentioning this French historian, Emmanuel Todd. This is um, uh, the guy that predicted the fall of the Soviet Union 14 years before it happened. Now you could say, well, maybe he got lucky. I don't know. But he, he says that, the, uh, that World War III has already started. And um, he said, we are now in an endless war, in a confrontation whose outcome must be the collapse of one or the other. Um, and Russia has made it pretty clear, you know, this is for them, this is existential. Um, 
this this fight for the eastern half of Ukraine. This is existential for them because they they've been pushed into a corner. Whatever you think of Putin, I mean, there's been since the end of the Cold War, the United States promised Russia that there would be no NATO encroachment towards Moscow. And ever, ever since they have moved towards ever further towards Moscow with uh, their NATO expansion. And so now, the you know, you push the bear far enough, you poke it with a stick. Uh, what did we expect would happen? So there's well, that. When, when Putin uh, invaded Ukraine, I, I was of a, two different differing opinions. There's the common one that, you know, it was just a straight on invasion. But he's sort of caught in the middle between the West and China. I mean, I don't think he's naive and stupid enough to, to think that siding with China, once they're done with their enemies, he won't be next. So it's almost like he was drawing out um, firepower to to deploy the West into a situation where they can quickly move in on China. Because really, that's what's happened now. If you look at what's going on, there's a lot of forces moving into that area, which can be pivoted uh, to a, a certain di- different amount of areas, differing areas. I, I don't know to what extent uh, Russia and China will. I mean, they have cooperated, uh, the joint uh, military exercises, so forth, and and some trade agreements. Um, it may be a marriage of convenience. Um, I think sometimes Russia makes China a little bit nervous. China would still like to have. They still crave, I think, a President Xi some credibility, if you will, on the world stage. He would like some respect on the world stage. Russia, I think, has has basically made their peace with the fact that they can go it alone. Uh, we are now into a uh, a multipolar war uh, world. We have um, civilizational states now emerging. So we have uh, India uh, has basically proven that it can sort of um, de- uncouple from from the West. Uh, countries like, uh, well, China, Russia, of course. So the globali- globalization is basically unraveling. And um, that's what this war in Ukraine is about, in part. It's a proxy war between the globalists and Russia seeing itself as this the emergence of a civilizational state. And so this is this is the red line for Russia. The red line. They they've been pretty um pretty forthright in in stating this, not only Putin but his generals that they're not they're not backing away. If 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 it means the end of everything, they're they're willing to to take it right to the uh drag us right to the precipice and maybe even go over the precipice. World War Three, according to this uh, French historian, has already started. All right, when we come back, more on that. Russian warships are sailing with tactical nuclear missiles for the first time since the end of the Cold War, according to Norwegian intelligence. U.S. Army retired Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis is next. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. All right. Once again, Norwegian intelligence reporting that the Russian Northern Fleet's warships have started to sail 
with tactical nuclear weapons on board. This is the first time in 30 years. This is according to a report that was issued just a couple of days ago, again, by the Norwegian Intelligence Service. What does this all mean? Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, is with us, the author of Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. Bob, welcome back once again. How are you? I'm doing well, Richard. Thanks for having me. What do you make of this uh, report, intelligence report from Norway? Is it credible? Well, you know, I'd like to see other sources, but assuming it's credible, uh, it would not surprise me because, one, the U.S. withdrew in 2019 from the intermediate uh, nuclear uh, treaty that we signed with Gorbachev uh, back during the Reagan years, uh, primarily because uh, they, the Russians, have developed um, intermediate-range capable nuclear weapons and have deployed them in Europe. Uh, and, and now, an intermediate-range nuclear missile uh, can go from 310 miles to 3,400 miles. And so the intent was to eliminate those from Europe and to marginalize the threat and rely primarily on intercontinental ballistic missiles that the Russians have plenty of, and we do as well. So it would appear, though, because the Russians use their submarines and their surface warfare ships to launch uh, tactical nuclear weapons, more so than ground-launched weapons, that uh, this is credible, I would say. You can look aboard and from satellite or other imagery and determine whether or not they have a particular weapon. And evidently, the Norwegians believe they do. So I, I don't have any reason to doubt that. So these would be, would they be, would they be like uh, cruise missile type systems on the, on the, um, on these vessels? More than likely, they are cruise missiles. You know, the Russians like cruise missiles. They've used a lot in Ukraine. Uh, we've seen them deployed elsewhere. And of course, yeah, they've been threatening to use nuclear weapons anyway. Vladimir Putin, of course, has, has not been shy about uh, rattling that nuclear weapon uh, rattle that he has with regard uh, to you know some of his setbacks in Ukraine. And here in the last uh, couple of days, and uh, you've probably noticed that you know, we've had more Russian aircraft, uh, certainly off the coast of Alaska. And the bear bombers. Yeah, the yeah. bear bombers. Yeah, and the NORAD has alerted us to that. And, of course, we sent up F-16s and F-35s and the like. Uh, so it's a cat and mouse game that we used to play every day almost when we had the Soviet Union uh, in place. Now, of course, uh, these activities are returning, and it's not this time just with the Russians. It's also with the Chinese. Um. I get you. I want to get your response to um, Seymour Hersh's article or his Substack, in which he claims that, uh, according to his source, unnamed source, the U.S. Navy planted these remote detonated bombs uh, and destroyed Nord Stream Two. Yeah, I, I, I've heard that allegation, and I find it difficult to believe. However. Um, you know, given what Mr. Biden has done with regard to green new energy, um, his whole focus on that and trying to destroy the uh, the fossil fuel industry, uh, you know, that, that could give it some credibility. But uh, I'm not seeing anything that I believe at this point that, you know, clearly 
points to the fact that the U.S. was the one that sabotaged that. Now, at the same time, there are only so many nations that have uh, the deep water capability to not only pinpoint, uh, but to detonate a charge uh, that would destroy, you know, not one, but two actual pipelines. And that's apparently what happened. And of course, then it let off all the, the carbon pollution that everybody's complaining about. Um, so I don't totally dismiss it, but I haven't seen enough evidence to suggest that uh, it was the U.S. You know, behind this. If it if it were the U.S., if it could be de- demonstrated categorically that it was the U.S., would 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 that be a declaration of war against Russia? Would Putin see it as such? Well, you know, if I were in Berlin, I think I'd be more upset at the U.S. than you know, perhaps. The Russians would be. But yes, you know, there was Russian supplies of natural gas uh, flowing through there. Now, at the time and the timing is 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 not coincidental, I don't think Uh, they were not pumping gas at that particular point. And so the pipes were not as full as they otherwise would have been. And therefore, you know, it suggests that there was some inside knowledge about what was going on and not going on. Now, it's not as if it wasn't publicized. One of them was not fully activated. The other one was shut down for maintenance back in August. So uh, it's just a a ticklish issue. I'm sure this is a fairly highly classified and hold on who to share it with. Um, I haven't heard a lot of protests, though, out of um, some of our European allies. And I I suspect people know, but it's just a matter. It, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, finally, I'll get your, your comments on uh, these comments by a French historian, Emmanuel Todd, uh, one of France's leading intellectuals, apparently. And he's the uh, the fellow that predicted the fall of the Soviet empire back in, well, 14 years before it happened. Uh, he's basically saying we are already in World War Three. What are your thoughts? Well, five years ago, as you know, Richard, I wrote a book, Alliance of Evil. I said we were then in a Cold War. I listed, you know, 16 indicators and every single day here recently, I see those indicators just uh, popping up on the the nightly news or in the papers or whatever. So, you know, I do believe that we're in a new, albeit different type of Cold War, uh, but one that could easily, um, you know, fall into a hot war. Keep in mind, the 16th one happens to be a proxy war, and we're already in a proxy war with the Russians in Ukraine. And even General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, said yesterday that uh, he doesn't expect this thing to end anytime soon. So, you know, the devastation in Eastern Europe will continue. The, The question is whether or not it's going to expand. And of course, we see unrest in the Persian Gulf. We see the the Chinese who are reeling from some economic issues, some COVID issues and the like, but they're being incredibly aggressive across the entire region. And I know all of our allies from Japan or South Korea, the Philippines, the Vietnamese and elsewhere, they're all very nervous about what they're seeing from the Chinese hegemon and the People's Liberation Army, Navy, Air Force is being incredibly aggressive, not only against U.S. forces, but against other forces in the region. And, of course, we're beginning to really get serious about that, uh, investing in the region and, and doing things that perhaps we should have done decades ago. 
Kings of the East, China's plan to eliminate America and impose a communist world order. How do we get a copy, Bob? Well, Amazon.com, uh, it's there as, as well as the others. Uh, you know, I would like not to be correct, but I, I'm unfortunately, I think I'm really correct when it comes to China. Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis, U.S. Army retired. Bob, thank you as always. Thank you, Bridget. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Declan, and Jacob. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.